All right, we're going to find ourselves in Romans quite a bit today, so if you'll grab your Bible or whatever you're using to read Scripture out of today, look at Romans 7. We're going to be in 7 and 8 uh, off and on. And we're wrapping up the series in uh, Character Matters with self-control. So that'll be our last Sunday for this. Uh, I hope that it was beneficial to you. Um, it was for me. Yeah, this has been, every time I study through <laughs> uh, and talk about and teach about and read about the fruit of the Spirit, um, it touches me. Uh, and it reveals uh, both uh, areas where I know the Lord has worked and changed and areas that I know He still needs to do some more. Um, and we're going to be talking about that today because when we talk about self-control, um, that's a tough one. I told you these last two were going to be hard, didn't I? Gentleness and self-control may be uh, two of the most difficult uh, in this uh, series. Um, self-control or, or lack of self-control can do a lot of damage in our lives. Anybody attest to that? Yeah, it definitely can, can't it? When I don't have self-control in my life, I'm vulnerable to all kinds of problems. I mean, whether it's, um, whether it's uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled lust, uncontrolled speech, uh, uncontrolled drinking, uncontrolled eating, uncontrolled ambition, right? Anything uncontrolled, uh, man, we have to learn and we have to allow the Spirit of God to do in us what He needs to do to build self-control. This is the scripture, the passage that this uh, message today is kind of founded on. And it says this out of Proverbs 25, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Well, we don't have cities with walls anymore. But you can imagine in the day when cities needed walls to be safe, to be protected, uh, they're saying that, that a person without self-control is the same as a city without walls. There's no protection. Uh, there's no, uh, nothing guarding it, nothing keeping it safe. Um, areas in your life, you got to think about that this morning as we talk about this. Um, this is all just... Uh, uh, a, an educational, philosophical, mental exercise unless we allow the Spirit of God to do His work. So as we talk about this today, if you're not sure, you probably are, you probably know where you lack self-control, but if you're not sure, ask the Spirit of God to reveal it to you. Um, we all have areas we wish we could change uh, and areas we know must change. Uh, we're going to see uh, through what, uh, what is taught in Scripture um, about how to do that. So the first thing we have to understand is that we have a problem. I think we all know that, though, right? I hope we do. We have a problem. Um, why does it seem like we have such little self-control? Why do I have a hard time getting my act together? And the Bible spells this out clearly. Romans 7, where I said we'd start. Uh, we're going to read some Scripture because Paul talks about this, but it comes down to one three-letter word no one likes to talk about anymore, and that's called sin uncontrolled uh, lifestyle, uncontrolled uh, activities and actions in our life are as a result of sin. Um, I didn't know if you know if you know this, but you and I make wrong choices. Did you guys, you guys knew that? I heard some chuckles. <laughs> That's one of those, I, I think I've told you this before, my father-in-law, he was a pastor and he used to say, oh me or amen. That's an oh me moment, right? That's an oh me moment. When we looked at this verse a couple weeks ago, we talked about goodness and integrity, but we're going to look at it again. It's Romans 7, starting in verse 15. We're going to read 15 through 18. And Paul 
is very, very um, vulnerable, I think, in sharing this. Uh, and, and I hope that uh, you'll listen to what he says. Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's what self-control is about. <laughs> Finding that ability to carry it out. Did anybody, you read this and you're like, man, Paul, was he, was he like talking about me? Because if we're going to be honest with ourselves, I think we could all we could all say that it is true in our lives from time to time we have the desire to do what's right but the ability to carry it out is lacking. There's a war on the inside. Jesus talks about it. Matthew 26, 41, he says, the spirit indeed is willing. The spirit of God within us is willing but the flesh is weak, <laughs> right? Even after you become a believer, there's this ongoing battle. We've been saved from the result of sin, from the impact of sin, from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death and separation from God, if we are in Christ. But sin is still alive and active in this world, right? And we still struggle with these sin things that are going on around us and within us. We have a, a nature which God has given us, but we also have a sinful nature, and these natures battle. Uh, and, and, and the secret to self-control is not willpower. Uh, it's not reading a good book. It's not uh, taking a pill, although wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> it's not making a resolution on December 31st about how January 1st of 2021 is going to go. And on, it, it, that's, anybody ever tried a resolution? Yeah. Anybody ever kept a resolution? Has anybody in the history of the world ever kept a resolution? There must be somebody, but I, I, I don't know any. I don't know any of them. That's not the secret to self-control. The secret to self-control is not found in a thing or a book or a principle. It's found in the, in the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can hope to have even a, a modicum of self-control in our lives. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father or comes to the Father except through me. And in fact, no one's going to have any self-control except through Christ as well, right? Today, I want to ask us to face the truth uh, about God and our problems with self-control. Now, we all have heard uh, probably, well, maybe we haven't all heard, but, but you've heard of King David. Probably most of us have heard of King David. Probably many of us are, are, are accustomed to or have uh, become acquainted with his story. But I'm going to real briefly tell it to you. Um, he was king the army of Israel was out in battle. Scripture said it was the time of year when the kings go to war. I don't know what that was, but that sounds terrible. Apparently, it was the time of year when kings went to war. Probably had to do with the seasons and, and so forth. David stayed in Jerusalem. The army, the commanders, the people were out in the field. He stayed in Jerusalem one balmy, I imagine, evening up on the rooftop of the king's home. He was walking around, and for some reason, he could see a young lady bathing. I don't know. <laughs> he was probably looking for that, right? I mean, let's be honest. He called a servant to him, and he said, go find out who that woman is. He went and found it, and he came back, and he said, that's Bathsheba. 
she's married to Uriah the Hittite. He's one of your men. He's out in the field fighting, and he said, well, bring her to me. Right? Ooh. <laughs> Scripture says he lay with her. She conceived and, and became pregnant. And now David has a problem, doesn't he? David has a problem. Uh, so does anybody know what David does? Yeah? Some of you know this story. He's like, I have to fix this. So he called the commander and he, he out in the field, obviously not by phone, but by message, and said, send Uriah home. Uh, I need to talk with him. So Uriah came. He came to the king. He talked with David. David uh, fed him, uh, took care of him, and said, okay, why don't you spend the night tonight uh, at home uh, with your wife, and then tomorrow you can go back to the battle. Uriah was a stand-up guy. And instead of going to do that, it says he stayed at the gate of the king's home with the other troops who were in town that had been, at, there were obviously some other people, some other men who had been fighting who were in town for some reason or another, but they stayed together in a little encampment uh, at, the, at the gate or at the home of the king just outside. Uh, the next day, he found out what happened, and he's like, he, he brought Uriah back, and he said, why didn't you go home? And he said, well, the Ark of the Covenant is in a tent, and the, the people, uh, the men of Israel are out fighting, the commanders are out fighting, and I'm not going to go home and see my wife and, and, and take the pleasures there when the rest of Israel is out fighting. So I stayed with the other men who are also fighting but are in town for the day. David still has a problem. He says, okay, come back tonight. You can leave tomorrow. He comes back that evening. David decides, isn't this just how sin goes? He says, okay, well, I'll, I'll feed Uriah and I'll get him drunk. And maybe if I get him drunk, he'll go home. He'll kind of get confused. He'll go home. And then there'll be plausible deniability, right? We can't really say for sure who got Bathsheba pregnant. In spite of the fact that he got drunk, Uriah, still being the stand-up guy, stayed with the king's troops. Again, he didn't go home. Uh, David figures this isn't going to work. So he writes a note to the commander on the field and says, when Uriah gets back, send him to the fiercest point of fighting in the battle. And when it's at its worst, draw back so that Uriah is killed. Wow, right? He gives the note to Uriah and says, take this to your commander. That's like, like, the, like the irony of all ironies, right? You're taking your, your, your death notice it's like, this is the note that's going to result in my death. And you give it to the commander. Of course, Uriah didn't read it, right? I mean, suffice to say, if he had read it, he probably wouldn't have delivered it. <laughs> um, he gives it to the commander, and that's exactly what he does. Puts him out in the fiercest fighting, calls back uh, the men. Uriah's killed. Uh, they send a message back to David, and they, t they tell David, here's what happened. Um, there was a fierce battle. Some men were killed, but, but most of all, you need to know that Uriah was, was also killed. Message goes to his wife. Uh, Bathsheba mourns, and after a period of mourning, she becomes David's wife. Uh, we're not going to go into what happens with David and Bathsheba and the baby that comes uh, down the road from that, but this is just a picture of, it, it, it's such a, I say beautiful picture, maybe not that beautiful, but realistic, isn't it, of how we try to cover up when we sin, we fail. Uh, we fall into a bad habit and we fall into it again and we try to cover it up by deceiving ourselves and by deceiving others and by piling on a lie on top of another lie on top of another deception. And, and what happens? It just gets worse and worse and worse. 
The solution is in Jesus Christ. Uh, and Scripture is really clear about how to, how to have self-control grow in us. This is going to sound like it's out of the pages of, of a 12-step program, but the first thing you have to do is acknowledge you have a problem. That's the first thing you have to do. Before, before Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit can do anything in your heart, in your life, you've got to come and say, I've got a problem. I have sin in my life. Uh, it begins, for those of us who haven't yet given our lives to Jesus Christ, it begins with coming before, before God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ saying, look, I have sinned against you. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Wash me, cleanse me, save me, put me on a new path. Uh, take away the old and give me the new. Scripture says the old man and the old way will be gone and the new man will come. If we call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God rose, uh, raised him from the dead, it says we will be saved. That's the first step. But many of us who have already made that step, we know we still struggle in self-control. So we have to admit that we have a problem. We have to, we have to confess that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But let's talk about the definition of sin. Um, we all grew up in different faith backgrounds. We have a lot of conceptions and misconceptions about what, what sin may or may not be. Um, it's not a list. Uh, if God had made a list, there'd be a, it'd be like books and books and books of, a, of, a, of another book. Wouldn't that be terrible if there was like a, a list of sins? right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorten this idea, the definition of sin, to its, to, its, to its smallest essence. Sin is playing God. Sin is deciding that I know better than God does. That I'm going to decide for myself uh, what my life is going to be like. Saying, I'm not going to listen to you, God. I'm going to do things my way. You ever, I love that Frank Sinatra song. <laughs> And I did it my way, right? I'm not Frank. I wish I knew a little more of the song. I would have sang the whole thing. It would be great. There's a lot of people out in this world, and maybe some of us even in this room. <laughs> it's like a mantra to us. I did it my way. We, we can't do it our way. Doing it my way is playing God. Doing it my way is sin. Sin is as old as Adam and Eve, and it goes back to the beginning of all things. And what makes it worse is we live in a perpetual state of denial, right, about our sin. We, we, we deny it to other people by putting up false fronts or, or faces or uh, personalities or images, right? We also fool ourselves. We're really good at it. We're really good at calling something something else and, and, and justifying it so that we can live with it, if you, were, if you will. We say things like, I'm not perfect. Everyone makes mistakes once in a while. Do you have a, a pet cover-up uh, sentence or, uh, for, for when you mess up? You know, we, we've got to get rid of those. Um, I have a sinful nature. It is my nature to be selfish. Say that with me. <laughs> it is my nature to be selfish. It's true. It's my nature to be selfish. Um, it is my nature to be discontent. Anybody? It is my nature to be discontent. That's just like the nature of the human condition. We don't like it, but it's true. 1 John 1 8 warns us about this. Uh, he says this If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we have to come to the point where we admit, yeah, 
I've got sin in my life. Sin always involves self-deception. <laughs> right? Me? I don't have a problem. Everything's fine. I've got this totally under control. You ever said that about a habit? About something you do, something you fall back into over and over? I, I could stop this anytime. Here's the truth. In order to stop defeating myself, I have to stop, um, I have to stop deceiving myself. In order to, to stop being defeated, I've got to stop lying to myself. We have to deal with the truth and the issues. Are you pretending that your marriage is okay? Are you pretending the kids are okay? Are you pretending that relationships that you have, everything's fine, everything's good, but, but, but there's problems and there's things that are going on there that you're not, uh, you're not dealing with? Are you pretending by saying, I could stop this habit anytime I want? Well, the reality is, it's not a harmless indulgence. It's an addiction. And we can be addicted to a lot of things. I think we hear the word addiction, we think alcohol, we think drugs. Sometimes maybe we think sex. But you can be addicted to anything. Spending, right? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. There are a lot of things we could be um, addicted to. And it doesn't really matter whether we're strung out on drugs or we're strung out on spending on our visa. Both of those things... Or can be an addiction. It doesn't matter whether we're looking at pornography or reading tra- trashy novels or, or whatever it is. We're just medicating pain. That's what uh, these kind of habits do. They just medicate the pain away. We have to find the root of the problem and it, and it boils down to this. Who is God in my life? It's, it's pretty easy to find that out because it's the answer to this question. What do I turn to when things are at their worst? Just think about that for a minute. When things are at their worst, what do I turn to? Is it a bottle? Is it a book? Is it pornography? Is some other bad habit, fill in the blank, that I haven't mentioned this morning. I don't want to know what it is. But, but what is that thing when, 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 things are, when things are bad, when things are broken, when 2020 is at its worst again? What is it that you turn to? That's your God. That's the thing that is playing God in your life. I've noticed this uh, in, in life, that we don't change until we hit bottom. Maybe 2020, some of us will hit bottom. <laughs> some of us will finally hit the bottom, and we will have enough emotional wake-up calls and relational wake-up calls and financial wake-up calls to realize that something in our lives has to change. Um, if you ask pastors... Um, and this is true, the, the, I would say the same thing. So one of the, what's one of the most difficult things you deal with? And, one, and, and that would be this. People wait too long before asking for help. People wait too long before asking for help. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute because that's one of the ways we learn to, to build self-control is by asking for help and by confessing our sins one to another. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, people live in denial about what's going on and they wait and they wait, and until things are so bad that they almost can't be fixed. Or can't be fixed. That happens is in marriages. It, it happens in marriages all the time. And we, we've seen it in Ohio. We've seen it in Montana. We've seen it in Poland. Um, people will wait until it is too late and then ask for help. Why? Because we're living in a state of denial. John uh, 
we read a minute ago, said if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth does not end us. And John continues in chapter 8, verse 34, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. (laughs) Did you know that? If you practice sin, you're a slave to sin. What he's saying here is that we we underestimate the power of sin. It's like playing with fire. And we play and we play and we think we have it in control. And we don't. But we have to believe that Christ can change us. That's like, that's, that's the beginning of, of self-control is believing that Jesus Christ can change us into the person he wants us to be. So let's go back to Romans 7. Uh, Paul talks a little bit more down in verse 24 where he says this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He sounds pretty, pretty, uh, pretty disgusted with himself, right? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer, the rescuer, the Savior, is the Savior himself, Jesus Christ. You want to be rescued from sin? From the, the control and the habit and the addiction? It's found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The answer to your problem is the answer to the question, who is going to be Lord in your life? If you've never done that, we talked about that in a minute ago, it's time to do that. It's time to say, okay, I, I don't want to be Lord anymore. I need a, a God in heaven, a, a Savior in my life who can, who can change me into what he wants me to be. If you have made that decision before, um, it's, time to, it's time to step up and recommit all those things to him. Maybe you've slipped. It's been five years or 10 years or 15 years since you came to faith in Christ and some things have worked their way in. We read that scripture early on uh, and I, I put it up here. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now the, uh, the, the prince of, the, of this earth, Satan, scripture calls him that, he, he would love to, to condemn you and make you feel like there's no hope. You're a terrible Christian. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ will forgive you again and again and again. And he will change your heart and he will change your attitude and he will change your actions and he will make you new. He will set you free. Read the rest of that scripture with me. It says the law of the spirit of life. Doesn't that sound great? The law of the spirit of life. The spirit of life will set you free. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Are we still affected by sin? Yeah. Are we still enticed by sin? Absolutely. Are we free from the law of sin and death? Yes. The wages of sin, the law of sin and death says this. The wages of sin is death. The law of the spirit uh, of life says, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now we get to talking about this cycle that we're stuck in. Good intention, failure, guilt. Does this sound familiar? Good intention, failure, guilt. Try hard, failure, guilt. Anybody? You, you know what that cycle's like. You, you've lived in this cycle. Maybe you're living in this cycle right now. 
How are we going to break out of it? It's not by listening to a self-help tape. <laughs> I it's not by reading the book. It's not by, uh, it's not by coming to church. Guess what? If you thought coming today was going to solve that, it's not. <laughs> it's in Christ alone. Salvation uh, and, and freedom from the law of sin and death is found in no other except Christ and Christ alone. But there is a place for the people around you in this process. They can't save you. They can't make you walk the right way, right? But there is a biblical principle of recovery in Scripture. It's called confession. Uh, James says this very clearly. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know why it's important to, to talk to other people about what's going on in your life? It's that word we hate. We hate accountability. Ooh, if somebody else know, you ever said that to yourself? If somebody else really knew what goes on in the shadows of my heart, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't like me. They wouldn't want to be around me. They wouldn't accept me anymore. Well, guess what? That's exactly what it says we're supposed to do. We confess our sins to one another. Because through confession, there comes healing. And that healing also brings with it accountability. Somebody to walk with. Does anybody have somebody they walk with? Some of you are raising your hand. That's good. We should all be like, yeah. Um, I love, we have this group of men. We're meeting. We're talking once a week about being radical husbands. If you didn't get in on that, we're going to do it again. It's, it, it's really good. But there's an accountability in that. Because we talk with each other about um, <laughs> whether we're good husbands or not. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I was going to say what crappy husbands we are, but no, that's not true. We want to be radically uh, amazing, God-fearing, wife-loving husbands. And so we share with each other our struggles. And we share with each other the things that keep that from happening. And that's important. And I mention that because if you don't have somebody walking with you, and you've got some serious things that you struggle with, uh, whether it's addiction, whatever it is, and, 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 and you're, you're saved, you're not saved, either one of those, you, you need to find somebody to walk with. Find somebody to walk with you. This church is full of people who would walk with you. Confess to one another and pray for one another. Why? Because your ego prevents your healing. Your pride keeps you from being changed. Um, and, and your pride also keeps you from having accountability. Why? Because we put up that false front. That mask, that picture. Hey, I'm... I, I'm this person and, and I'm an elder in the church or I'm a pastor in a church or I'm a, a church member or I'm a Christian and we think that has to look and sound and feel a certain way and when it doesn't, when our lives don't match that, we, we, we put up fronts for that. Man, stop. Just stop. That doesn't help you. That doesn't honor God. God has wired us in such a way that we need each other. And that's why the body of Christ in the local church is so important. It's great to come in here and worship together. This is wonderful. Uh, and, and I can't wait until we put all the chairs back and this place is full again. But <laughs> we need to have real transformation. We need to have 
real connection in the body of Christ. Whether this room is full or empty, that doesn't, that doesn't really matter. What really matters is, am I connected with people in the body of Christ? Well, we can have a bunch of people come and sit here on Sunday and sing some songs and hallelujah and listen to a message and go home and live no differently. And that's not, that doesn't help you. That doesn't change you. That doesn't help this community. That doesn't help the people that live around us who don't know Christ come to, to faith in Christ. What, what helps that is our relationship with one another. Now, I know relationships are difficult right now because we have to do it by phone calls and Zoom messages and, and in very, very small groups uh, like our, our men's thing. We, we still do Zoom. You know what? There's actually a pretty good side to Zoom. We don't have to travel, <laughs> right? You know, so Dick is, is up in, uh, what, he's like 15, 20 minutes away from here. Uh, people live different distances, and we, we can be together. So there's kind of a beautiful side to that. I, I kind of like I that's a positive side to it. But you have to be purposeful. You have to be intentional. Even in difficult times, Christians have always found ways to connect with one another. So find a way to connect with somebody who can walk with you as you have a, a struggle and a war with your old nature. But it comes down to this. Dedicate yourself to Christ. Whether it's your first time or whether if this morning you're like, yeah, I really need to do that again. I need to do that again. Turn back to Romans 6. I told you we in Romans quite a bit. Romans 6, 12 says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, that's the members of your body, your parts of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So I'm just going to encourage you to do that today. Present yourself and your members, your arms, your legs, your mind, your head, all your parts, the full package. Present that to God and allow it to be an instrument of righteousness in His hands that He could do in you and through you what he desires to be done. There's a, you, anybody ever do Promise Keepers? Ever go to Promise Keepers? You've heard about Promise Keepers. I didn't remember. I knew, I, I had this quote, Gary Oliver. I guess he was a Promise Keeper speaker. I don't remember the name, but I did go a couple times. Um, back years, years ago, we were living in Ohio and went to one in Detroit. Maybe some of you were there. I don't know. But he has this quote, and this is kind of, this is the thought I want you to take out here today. Moral failure is rarely the result of a blowout. Anybody ever had a blowout in your car? You had a blowout and your tire blew out? It's, okay, so he says moral failure is rarely the result of a blowout. It is often the result of a slow leak. Let that resonate with you in a minute, for, for a minute. And then ask yourself the question, what is my slow leak? It may not look too serious. Anybody ever have a tire with a slow leak? Did you just go get it fixed or did you ever just drive around for months and months and every time you got gas, you just air it up a little bit? Psh, psh, I, I've, did, I've done that before. I think we've all done that before, right? And it's so dumb because they'll fix it at the, ter the tire shop for free. 
because they want to sell you tires later. So they'll fix your, your slow leak for nothing. Moral failure is rarely the result of a blowout. Almost always it's the result of a slow leak. What is your slow leak today? What is your slow leak? What is that thing, that passion that is reigning in you, that sin, hidden, secret, shadowy? What is that slow leak? Every day we're controlled by something, whether we like it or not, controlled by ego, controlled by expectations, controlled by our own sinful desires, uh, maybe guilt, maybe a substance, maybe a habit. Freedom comes in identifying those slow leaks and bringing them to the Father and saying, Father, and, and it's not going to be a surprise to Him. As much as we can fool everybody else around us, we can't fool the Father, can we? He knows where the slow leaks are. And He's waiting for us to come to Him and admit we've been play, trying to play God and admit that we can't change on our own and ask Him to help us to change and allowing Him to have total ownership in our life. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. You know, got that one pet thing, that one little pet thing that we want to hold on to. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13 tells us what Christ will do for us when we give him everything. It says here, no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I know I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Too often, we don't look for that escape. The thing that we're looking at is so enticing, we just grab it. We don't look for the escape. The Father will always provide an escape from temptation if we look for it. Sometimes, that's that accountability person. Sometimes, it's that person we can call and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. You ever done that? You have that person who's like, Hey, I'm struggling today. I want to do that thing that I want to do and I've done and I've, and then you, you, you call your friend, your brother, your sister and they pray for you and they talk you through. Bottom line today is do you really want to change? That's really what it comes back to. There's something about coming to Christ with a desire for real change not holding anything back, not keeping any parts, not keeping any bits, not keeping any secrets. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Did you know that? He gave us a spirit. It's not going to come up, I don't think. Uh, I don't think I gave it to you guys up there. That's why it's not up there. Second Timothy 1.7. Um, maybe one of the most important verses of the whole morning, right? <laughs> for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and of love and of self-control he's already given you a spirit of self-control we need to allow that spirit to reign the Bible says if any man is in Christ he's a new person the old man has gone and the new man has come and we have in us the power of self-control through the Spirit of God. And He will accomplish what He wants to accomplish in us and through us if we dedicate ourselves wholly to Him. So two things. Who's your God? What's that thing you turn to in the moment? Bring that to the Father. And what's that slow leak? What's that slow leak sin that you're just letting fester? 
Bring those to the Father today as we pray. Heavenly Father.